Now, while the, the um, baskets are being passed, you know, um, how many of you know that to, to bless Israel is to be blessed by God? Just from the, the Word of God, right? And how many of you have noticed in the news, if, if you're alive and you're reading or looking at anything, you realize that Israel has come under the persecution of virtually every nation in the world. And did you know that the prophet Zechariah predicted that in the last days, Jerusalem would become a troublesome stone, a rock of offense for the entire world. So we're in the last days. And Melva Lee Beecham, who used to be mine and Kathy's youth choir director at Beverly Hills Baptist Church many, many years ago, we were together in the Jesus movement when the Jesus movement swept uh, the country. And our pastor, Howard Knatzer, got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention because he gasped, prayed for the sick, and began to worship God with his hands raised. And he just kind of went loopy, right? In a good way. And so we were there in the Jesus. We had a, well, Melba, come on up and let them see you. And uh, give Melba Joe a great big hand today. Make her feel welcome. Now, uh, we, we had a 150-voice youth choir. Now, just think about that. Not adults, youth. We would load them all into Continental Trailways buses, and we would travel the country to prisons and churches and minister in song and in the Word of God. So me and Kathy and Melva go, go back. Melva said 900 years in the first service. We don't go back that long. But to the 70s. When we were all there at Beverly Hills Baptist Church and we experienced an explosion of the move of God and the church went from about 400 people, 600 people, to 4,000, we had to move into the Bronco Bowl, a bowling alley, auditorium, and just pack it out. And so we go back to there. Now, Melva has, in recent years, been a missionary to Israel. Melva, say hello to everybody. Hi, y'all. <laughs> It's so good to be home in Texas because right now I'm living in New Jersey. And Uh it's wonderful, but it's different. Do you say uh, New Jersey yet? No, we actually don't. Everybody thinks we do, but we don't. Do you say pasta? Some of them do, pasta. Pasta? Yeah, pasta. Particularly if you're Italian, you say pasta. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in New Jersey, but you've been a missionary in Israel. And, and Mel, that's one of the things. I knew you were doing that, and... We have all seen this recent event with the flotilla and the blockade to Gaza and the way that the Jewish people were attacked on that boat. We were stunned. Well, I'm not stunned much anymore by what I like to call now the lamestream media, not the mainstream. I just got a bumper sticker. I'm not a bumper sticker guy, but I just got one. And it says, I don't believe the liberal media. They have gone. Amen. That's right. It, and uh, But we saw the media, we saw all the nations of the world amazingly side with yes. the Palestinian terrorists that were attacking those Jewish right. folks. And uh, we saw on video what really happened. Right. It's sort of like, don't bother me with the facts. Exactly. We are going to believe what we want. So Melva, um, you know, I believe God's eye is on that land as he said it would be, as never before. What did you see when you were in Israel? Well... I moved there in 2005 and lived in Jerusalem. Now, you talk about a privilege. And the Jewish people are so hungry. What we, what we as Christians don't understand is that they have been dispersed all over the world. So whatever government they've lived under, under generations, uh, some of those are communistic. And so they have had no knowledge of God. So the nation of Israel was actually birthed by secular Jews who didn't even know what to call the nation. They didn't even know what to name it. And finally, David Ben-Gurion said, I've got the final say in this, and we're going to name it Israel. They didn't even know. It's an amazing thing. But right now, today in Israel, there are two different streams that are working in Israel to bring forth the harvest. There's the Christian stream that has gone in because... 
Another thing we don't understand as Christians is for the last uh, 1,300 years, we have been the number one persecutor of the Jewish people. We killed them in the Crusades. We raped and pillaged everything, all in the name of Jesus. The pogroms of Europe, the Holocaust, the Spanish Inquisition, everything was done by so-called Christians in the name of Jesus. So if you were a Jew, would you want to have anything to do with, with Christians? No. So beginning in the early 80s, around that time, the Holy Spirit began to stir in Christians' hearts to go to the Jewish people, to live among them and to repent to them, to begin to repent to them and to not preach to them about Jesus, that he was a Jew, that he wasn't the first Christian, not to preach to them, but to let them see the living Jesus just through their love and their service to the Jewish people. And out of that now, in Israel, there are about 10,000 believing Jewish people who have received Yeshua as their Messiah and Son of the living God. It's an awesome day in Israel. So the two streams that the Lord is using today now among the Jews is the Christian stream to break down the walls and the Messianic stream that can look them straight in the eye and say, I am a Jew and I have found the one that Moses and the prophets talked about. Yeshua, son of the living God. Hallelujah. Amen. It's a great day. Now, um, you're seeing people saved there and we're interested now and I'm going to be preaching on this in just a minute in beginning to send financial support to Israel in a way mm-hmm. we never have and we're going to start where we can and we're going to grow. Yes. But um, this is all that you've been about and I believe, Melva, that Zechariah's prophecy is happening right in front of our eyes. Yes, it is. Jerusalem, yes. Israel has become yes. the burdensome stone yes. for the whole world. Absolutely. And so it's like Jesus said, when you see this happening, lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. That's right. If, if you want to know where we are really in the scriptures, you can literally take your Bible today and read the old prophets and look at the TV and see it coming to pass. Go home and read Ezekiel 35 and 36. That's about the mountains of Israel. The mountains of Israel are what the media calls the West Bank, which is in the Bible, Judea and Samaria, which are where all of your Bible stories are written. Amen. That's what they're wanting to give to another God. Okay, the governments of the world. So that's 35 and 36. Then 37 and 38 of Ezekiel are Gog and Magog, and every one of the players mentioned in the Gog and Magog scenario in 38 and 39 of Ezekiel mm-hmm. are in place today. And they are rabidly Islamic yes. and Rabid- anti-Israel, yeah, every one of them. Yes. Well, you're about to see why Melba Jo was our choir director. She can sing a song. She can sing. And... Uh, what is it that you're singing? The softly, t- and softly and tenderly. Softly and tenderly. Because we believe this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is softly and tenderly wooing people to come to Jesus before it's eternally too late. So give her a hand as she comes to sing, and let's cue it up. lovely but that's not it while they're finding the right one Acts 3:20 and 21 go home and read this because you may never seen this before it talks about the restoration of all things God is doing such a thing in the earth today and it says Jesus has to be retained in heaven He has to be retained in heaven until the restoration of all things. Now, it's not just any old thing, but it's the stuff that has been prophesied since Moses 
by every one of the prophets, and it's all written in here. Well, what is that? It's the restoration of the church, because we got sidetracked out here into a pagan Christianity that looks nothing like first century. It's also the restoration of the Jewish people who are God's covenant people. He's never come out of covenant with them. He made a covenant with them twofold. The land belongs to you, and I will be God to you. From, from the time he made it with Abraham all the way through to today, it's still working. The land is yours by inheritance, and I am your God. So he's doing a tremendous restoration of all things, but this morning, he's also doing a restoration in each of our individual lives. Because Jesus is going to take the entire kingdom one of these days, and he's going to present it then to the Father so that the Father can receive all of the glory. Hallelujah. Do we have it? What we're going to do, we'll do it at the end. Okay. We did it at the end? There Excellent. we go. And we're just going to worship, and then we, they'll get it queued up because it's not reading it for some reason. Melva, thank you. Give her a hand, everybody. She'll sing at the end. Let's stand, everybody. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to sing. Yes, Lord. time and here I God is good. I want to put um, a verse up here. I'm going to talk to you today about Israel. Why in the world does Israel matter to you and to me? We're going to see in just a moment from the Word of God that it matters tremendously. If ever there was a day we needed to bless Israel, it's now. Let's put up here part of the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, God begins to deal with Abraham. And when he does, he makes a covenant. Here's what he said to him in Genesis 12, verse 2. I'm going to make you, Abraham, into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then look what God said, because this is as good as the law of gravity. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now catch that. I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you. And I'm going to put a curse on everyone that curses you. Yes, our God blesses and our God curses. That is, and believe me, you don't want to be on the receiving end of a curse from God. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the land of Israel and what you're doing in the land of Israel. And Lord, our church, Turning Point Church, and Christians everywhere stand together on behalf of Israel. And as the nations of the world turn against her, we will bless her. And we thank you for it, Father. Speak to our hearts. Give us wisdom for these last days in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better perk up and listen. You need to bless Israel. Now, I want to take you on a little journey through the Word of God first to show you that the words that God spoke to Abraham immediately began to come to pass. God is a God of covenant, and God honors covenant. Scripture reveals that right from the beginning, the Lord made good on His promise to bless those who blessed Israel and curse those who cursed Israel. 
For example, early in Genesis, when the kings of five nations, think about this, five nations, five kings decided to kidnap Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his family. Abraham gathered a small army and went after them. But numbers-wise, they were greatly outnumbered, and yet, watch this, God said, I'm going to bless those that bless you, Abraham, and those that curse you, I'm going to curse. When the dust had settled, Lot was freed, and the five kings and their armies were completely defeated and demoralized. And the Amorites, who had aided Abraham in fighting them, received a rich reward from the king of Sodom. They were blessed because they stood with Abraham. Those who had blessed Abraham were blessed, and those who had cursed Abraham or anything touching Abraham were cursed. When Pharaoh went back on his word, you remember the story, and tried to stop the Israelites, he reneged on his promise. They were headed to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh decided that he had lost his mind by letting them go, letting all that slave labor go, all that free labor. So he got his armies together and chased after them. But you know that he followed them into the sea that had been divided. And when they got into the sea that had been divided, and the last child of Israel, the last Hebrew, crossed to the other side, when the Pharaoh and his army were in the middle of the sea, the walls of water glistening on either side caved in on them. And they were dramatically drowned beneath the Red Sea. Those that you bless, I'll bless. Those you curse, I will curse. When the Amalekites attacked Israel in the desert and were defeated, the Lord himself said about the Amalekites who had gone after his people, the Lord himself personally declared war on them, quote, from generation to generation. Question, seen any Amalekites lately? You know why you haven't? Because they're not. When Joshua made a pact with the Gibeonites, who had said, you know, we're with you. We're not with the other foreigners and heathen of this land, but we're with you in this promised land. We want to help you during the conquest of the land. The Lord honored it, and the Gibeonites were the only ones spared the wrath of the children of Israel as they took the promised land city by city. The Ammonites, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Philistines all gave Israel trouble when they began to settle in the promised land. Yet eventually their animosity toward Israel, as it always will, brought about their destruction. Seen any Ammonites, Edomites, Moabites, or Philistines lately? No. Why? They don't exist. The powerful Babylonians, the greatest nation on earth in the days of Babylon, provoked the Lord's displeasure. Why? Because of the way they treated Israel, even when they were in captivity in Babylon. God told Jeremiah that as soon as Israel's 70-year exile in Babylon had been completed, he would judge their Babylonian captors who treated them cruelly and mocked them for their faith. Remember the day in the Psalms when the Babylonians said, come on, sing us a song, Israel. And the psalmist said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? in the land of captivity. They mocked them, ridiculed them. One day Isaiah turned his prophetic gaze toward Babylon and spoke of the consequences that would befall them for their treatment of Israel. Listen to what he said would happen for the way they treated God's people. Quote, disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. You won't be able to pay your way out, finagle your way out, con your way out, talk your way out. A catastrophe, Isaiah wrote, you cannot foresee will suddenly, unexpectedly come upon you. At the end of the 70-year Babylonian captivity of Israel, when the Israelites were released to go back and rebuild their uh, homeland and the temple and the wall, the Medes and the Persians were sent by God into Babylon and they conquered them and made them subservient to them. And the mighty Babylonian kingdom that had looked invincible fell. Why? God said, because of the way you treated my people. I've learned a long time ago when God's got his hand on somebody, be careful. When God is favoring somebody, 
Watch what you say. Watch what you do. Because if God's hand is on somebody to do a work for a purpose, then when you mess with them, you mess with that purpose and you mess with the God behind the purpose. And we've got to have wisdom in this church. You know, you can have a lot of zeal and no wisdom. And you be very careful what you do with God's anointed. Not that God's anointed can't be criticized. Sometimes they need to be. But I'm talking about malicious, slanderous criticism. And I'm talking about coming against God's Jewish people and the land of Israel, as we're going to see in just a moment. Now, on the positive side, not only is the curse real, but the blessing is real. Cyrus the Persian set the Israelites free, said to them, go back and rebuild your wall, your temple, and all of that. Go back to your homeland. I release you, and I release you with favor. And he helped them rebuild it. He was a Persian. Later, the Persian king Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah permission to rebuild the holy city and its walls. And if you know your Bible, Nehemiah and Ezra and others were sent to rebuild the waste places and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And what were the consequences for Persia, which was not necessarily a God-fearing, monotheistic culture? What happened to them for blessing Israel? The kingdom of Persia enjoyed several generations of peace and prosperity. God reached down through the generations and blessed them because they had stood with Israel. When Alexander the Great swept through the Middle East, he decided to spare Jerusalem. And because he spared Jerusalem, he was blessed with an unbroken string of victories, the likes of which the world has never seen. When he, by the time he had reached the age of 30, he was a prodigy, a warrior prodigy. But behind it, could it be that part of his success was that he had spared Jerusalem when he could have taken her down? The Bible is so full of so many of these examples, that's just a few. But let's pull up now to our day, modern times. That was then, this is now. What about now? Because, listen, God's promise has never changed. Those who bless Israel, I'll bless. Those who curse Israel, I'll curse. In modern times, let's trace it back a little bit. Israel's first benefactor was Great Britain. Through the Balfour Declaration of 1917, which made the creation of the modern nation of Israel possible. The Balfour Declaration of 1917 was a formal statement of policy by the British government stating this, quote, His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. In other words, we, the British government, are putting our stamp of approval and our help and our aid towards the Jewish people. Well, what happened? The Lord gave the British a kingdom that spanned the globe. The sun never sets on the British Empire. Was Britain's legitimate claim. But tragically, fast forward, 1938, the Brits changed their tune and began a period of open hostility towards the Jews. Today, most of that empire is gone, and Britain is no longer the dominant world power, and Britain, as we speak, is being taken over by Islam, by Sharia law, political correctness, and losing their favor towards Israel, ceasing to bless Israel, has brought them down where now they are a used to be. And now it seems like the United States is learning a similar lesson. When Israel announced herself a brand new nation on May 14, 1948, it was an incredible fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Old Testament prophecy just stood up and said amen. It had been spoken so many times. And when... Israel declared herself a nation on that great day of May 14, 48. The United States, under President Truman, proclaimed its recognition of the new state just minutes after it was announced. We said, amen. We said, good. We said, we're with you. We're for you. And do you know that through the years, America sent financial aid to Israel? $86 million, when a dollar was a dollar, was sent in 1952. 
During the 1950s and early to mid-1960s, America every year sent at least $13 million. Then in the aftermath of the Six-Day War, 1967, aid began to increase sharply from America to Israel, with the United States providing $70 million in 1968 and $600 million in 1971. Good for America. Because a dollar sown towards Israel is a dollar well sown. By the late 1970s, did you know that Israel had become the largest single recipient of American foreign aid? Israel was our number one foreign aid target. Now look at our history. In spite of the great trials and tests we've had as a nation, like the Civil War, the Great Depression, the two world wars, America has emerged as the greatest, most blessed, and prosperous nation in the history of the entire world. There is no nation like America in terms of prosperity, blessing, power, and favor, minus Israel. Israel is unique, but among the Gentile nations, there's never been another one like America. America blessed Israel. Now, church, hear me on this one. I'm sharing this because we need to be in prayer for our country. We need to be in prayer for the current administration. It says in 1991, listen carefully, in 1991 we began to change. We got a dumb idea that we needed to begin to exert pressure on Israel to give up land that God had given. A meeting was initiated by the international community called the Madrid Conference. It took place in order to start a peace process involving Israel and the Palestinians. The key goal was the achievement of an Arab-Israeli treaty based on, listen now, territory for peace, land for peace, and the fulfillment of Palestinian rights. Land for peace was a very bad idea. America began to involve herself in pressuring Israel to give up the land God gave to Abraham and the Jewish people in order to obtain peace with the Arabs. We will give land. We're pressuring Israel to give land to stop this constant war between Israel and the Palestinians. But guess what? No matter what you give the Palestinians, it's never going to be enough. It will not be enough until every square foot of the Middle East is gone and is in their hands. And that's never going to happen because it's God's land. But they cannot be appeased. They cannot be satiated. You can never give enough. But that's what we decided would bring peace. Surely we can find peace if we can just give enough land away. But the only problem with this is that establishing a Palestinian state would cut Israel in half. Now what does God think of that? Because it doesn't really matter what we think of it, but it matters a whole lot what God thinks of it. Amen? What does God think of it? I'm going to read to you out of Joel chapter 3, verse 2, what God thinks about it. God says, quote, I will enter into judgment against all the nations who divide up my land. Now watch this. Let me say it again slowly. I will not blink at. I will not slap on the wrist. I will not say gee, what are you doing? No, I will enter into judgment, judgment against all the nations who divide up my land. Zechariah 2 verse 8 says, for this is what the Lord Almighty says, whoever touches Israel touches the apple of his eye. Since the Madrid meeting in 1991, a series of natural disasters have struck the United States of America, each time on the heels of something we did or helped do that runs contrary to God's declaration concerning the real ownership of the land of Israel. Now, I know that some of you in here have been infected and affected by political correctness, which says that God's got to love and God will never judge. He's just sloppy, agape, and ooey-gooey, and he loves everybody, and everybody's going to heaven. No, 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 no. Our God is a God of love for sure. But because he's a God of love, he's also a God of holiness and also a God of justice, and he's also a God of judgment. If he weren't, then he would not be a real God. He would be a figment of our imagination, and he's not. He is the God of the nations. 
And so let me just give you a few examples of the fact that God will indeed judge via natural disaster. All of the ten plagues loosed on Egypt through Moses would today be called natural disasters. The prophet Nahum wrote, quote, The Lord is slow to get angry, but His power is great. He displays His power in the whirlwind and in the storm. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, quote, I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. I didn't say that. God said that. I bless I create disaster. What do you think is coming down the road that the book of Revelations tells us all about? God will create disaster. That's why we say the time to get right with God is now because God must judge sin and He will judge sin and He will create disaster. And if you're not in Christ, I encourage you, give your heart to Him because that's like getting into Noah's Ark and the door is shut and you're safe from the great judgment of God. But there's only one ark, and his name is Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. You can't hug a tree and be safe. Amen. The book of Revelation spells out one judgment after another that our culture would label natural disasters. Hail, darkening of the sun, the moon turning red, violent weather patterns. And God takes credit for every single one of them in the book of Revelations. Now, in light of that, Let me look at a few examples that have taken place in America following our being involved in pressuring Israel to divide their land. I quote to you again, I will enter into judgment with every nation that divides my land. October 30th, 1991, as President George W. Bush opened the Madrid-Spain conference to consider land for peace and Israel's Middle East role, the perfect storm developed in the North Atlantic, creating the largest waves ever recorded in their region. The storm traveled 1,000 miles from east to west instead of the normal west to east and crashed into the New England coast. 35-foot waves pounded Kennebunkport, Maine, the summer home of the Bush family. August 23, 1992, When the Madrid conference moved from Spain to Washington, D.C., and the peace talks resumed, Hurricane Andrew, the worst natural disaster ever to hit America, came ashore and produced an estimated $30 billion in damage, leaving 180,000 homeless in Florida. As they met to be involved in dividing God's land to the Jewish people. January 16, 1994, President Bill Clinton met with Syria's President Hafez al-Assad in Geneva. They talked about a peace agreement with Israel that included giving up the Golan Heights, which God gave to the Jewish people. Within 24 hours, and you're going to see this over and over again, that same day, within 24 hours, immediately, a powerful 6.9 earthquake rocked Southern California. This quake, centered in Northridge, became the second most destructive natural disaster to hit the United States behind Hurricane Andrew. January 21st, 1998, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu met with President Clinton at the White House and was coldly received. Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done to the least of one of these, my brethren, his brethren being the Jewish people, you have done it unto me. Well, so Mr. Netanyahu was snubbed. Clinton and Secretary of State Madeleine Albright refused to even have lunch with him. Shortly afterwards on that day, the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke into the mass media and began to eat up a major portion of Clinton's time. September 28, 1998. As Secretary of State Albright worked on the final details of an agreement in which Israel would give up 13, think about this, 13% of the West Bank that God gave to the Jewish people. Hurricane George slammed into the United States Gulf Coast with 110 mile an hour winds and gusts up to 175 miles an hour. The hurricane hit the coast and stalled there 
On the same day, Clinton met with terrorist Yasser Arafat, the cutthroat, bloodthirsty terrorist Yasser Arafat, who was kissed by the American Western mass media, but who had avowed, made it his life's vow to wipe Israel off the map. We met with an avowed cutthroat terrorist. And Benjamin Netanyahu at the White House to finalize this land deal, giving away 13% of the land. Later, as Hurricane George continued to pound the Gulf Coast, causing $1 billion in damage, Arafat addressed the United Nations about declaring an independent Palestinian state by May 1999. At the very time Arafat departed the country, the storm began to dissipate. On October 15, 1998, Arafat and Netanyahu met at Y River Plantation in Maryland. The talks were scheduled to last five days, and here was the focus. The focus was on Israel giving up the aforementioned 13% of the West Bank. So here we go again, divvying out the land God gave the Jewish people. And the talks were extended uh, and and concluded on October 23rd. So from October 15th to October 23rd, these talks involved in giving up 13% of the land were taking place right in the middle of the talks on October 17th. Awesome rains and tornadoes hit southern Texas. The San Antonio area was deluged with rain. The rain and the flooding in Texas continued until October 22nd, just hours before the talks ended and then subsided. The floods ravaged 25% of Texas and left over $1 billion in damage. On October 21st, Clinton declared this uh, section of Texas a major disaster area. I will enter into judgment with any nation that divides my land. November 30th, 1998, Arafat, the terrorist, the cutthroat anti-Israeli terrorist, came to Washington again. To meet with President Clinton. Why? To raise money for a Palestinian state with Jerusalem as the capital. What an abomination. Giving to, giving to Allah what God had given to Jehovah. A total of 42 other nations were represented in Washington. All the nations agreed to give Arafat $3 billion in aid. Clinton promise 400 million of your tax dollars and mine to a cutthroat terrorist who wanted to steal Jerusalem. The European nations that day pledged 1.7 billion on the same day. The Dow Jones average dropped 21.6 points. And on December 1st, the European market had its third worst day in history. You see, when God judges a nation, he invariably touches the breadbasket. He touches the money. Because money is what the West is all about. Read your Bible. When God judged a nation, he dried up the breadbasket. He touched the money. He touched the cash flow. He knows how to get our attention. Hundreds of billions in market capital was wiped out in the U.S. and Europe in a day. And they had been the two major players in the talks to divide the land. December 12, 1998, as Clinton landed in the Palestinian-controlled section of Israel to discuss the land for peace process, at that moment, the House of Representatives voted four articles of impeachment against him. May 3rd, 1999, on the day that Yasser Arafat, the terrorist, was scheduled to officially declare a Palestinian state. Here we come. This was the big moment. On the day, he was going to declare a Palestinian state with Jerusalem as the capital, the most powerful tornado storm system ever to hit the United States, swept across Oklahoma and Kansas. The winds were clocked at 316 316 miles per hour, the fastest wind speed ever recorded. The declaration was postponed to December 1999 at the request of a distracted President Clinton. Distracted 
By whom? In the week of October 11, 1999, Jewish settlers in 15 West Bank settlements, remember Samaria and Judea, the area where most of your New Testament Bible, where all the events in it took place, the West Bank, Samaria, Judea. Jewish settlers, let's just put it this way, in 15 settlements in Samaria and Judea were evicted from covenant land. At that very time, the Dow Jones financial averages lost 5.7% in the worst week since October 1989. In the same week, on October 15th, the Dow lost 266 points and a hurricane slammed into North Carolina. On the next morning, October 16th, a magnitude 7.1 earthquake rocked the southwest in the fifth most powerful earthquake in the 20th century. It was felt in three different states. I will judge those who divide my land. Well, what does he do? Does he put a cloud formation in the sky and say, you're judged? No, he speaks through his creation. August 29th, 2005. One week before Hurricane Katrina made landfall, Israel carried out the evacuation. I remember seeing this on the news. It was heart-wrenching. It was unbelievable. I said, God help us when I watched this on the news. One week before Hurricane Katrina, when she was forming in the ocean, Israel carried out the evacuation of 9,500 residents from Gush Katif and four Samaria communities. Residents, Jewish residents, were forced from their covenant homes from covenant land by Israeli troops, some dragged away kicking and screaming and crying and placed on buses that took them from the area. I'll never forget it, watching the soldiers pick them up forcefully and carry them out of their homes and load them onto buses from covenant land. The Gaza evacuation had been supported and even urged upon Israel by the United States of America. What was happening? Hurricane Katrina made landfall. One of the most expensive natural disasters in our history, Katrina, is the latest in a string of events that most experts agree are too consistent to be mere coincidence. But it's really not the latest. Here's the latest. On April 19th, 2010, just a couple of months ago, Israel celebrated its uh, 62nd anniversary. On that day, President Obama declared that the United States would no longer exercise veto power in the United Nations on behalf of Israel. That had never been done before. On April 20th, the BP oil spill took place. Spewing into the ocean, death and destruction, and it's still not clogged, still not plugged. The lessons of history are unmistakably clear. Those who have blessed Abraham have been blessed, and those who have cursed him have been cursed. Now, folks, I give you the facts here. Go look all these up yourself. Every time they make a move in Washington to pressure Israel to give away land, I say, oh, God, help us. I will enter into judgment with those nations who divide my land. Now, applying this historic trend to the present, it doesn't take a prophet, and I'm not a prophet, but I can read. It doesn't take a prophet to predict even greater hardships for the United States in the weeks and months ahead. Why do you say that, Pastor Jeff? Because for the first time in American history, we have a president who is not siding with Israel, who is siding instead with the Muslim community, who is, I believe, a Muslim. Now, I'm not saying that uh, to condemn anybody. I'm just saying it as a fact out of his own mouth. But the danger is we're losing our history in favoring Israel. Here's the latest development in the current diplomatic crisis between Israel and the United States. President Barack Obama and Secretary of State Clinton have issued the following ultimatum to Israel. 
And of course, every time I read that, I go, what right do we have to issue anything to a democratic society like Israel? It is arrogance, in my humble opinion. But watch this. Number one, the Netanyahu government has been told they must extend the 10-month freeze on West Bank settlement construction to include East Jerusalem. That means you can't build a patio until the peace talks are executed. And that's the Jews' land, gift by God. Two, when the moratorium runs out in September, it must be renewed for the duration of the peace negotiations with the Palestinians. Three, Israel must make more concessions. Why? Why must they make more concessions? They must make more concessions to the Palestinian Authority and its chairman, Mahmoud Abbas. Now watch this. Mr. Abbas, in his younger days, birthed a major terrorist organization and has been recorded encouraging a military attack on Israel. And if he had his hand on the button today, would vaporize Israel. And yet Israel has got to come under him in these talks and cannot move until they work something out with him. This is all part of an effort to force Israel and the Palestinians to start negotiating again. The Israeli government was informed that until those conditions were met, its ministers, its representatives, would not be received in Washington by high-level American officials. This is a virtual boycott against Israel. Why? Why? And so far, neither party to this agreement has mentioned the U.S. administration's fourth condition for resuming normal relations. Grab the side of your chair. Here it is. As an Israeli commitment must be made to refrain from attacking Iran's nuclear program without prior U.S. consent. Now, right now, they're never going to get U.S. consent because our president is not going to do it. Now, why would that be? Because right now as we speak, Iran is less than two years away from possessing at least two nuclear weapons. One will be aimed at Israel for sure, and the other one likely this way. You have a radical, militant, Islamic, terrorist country putting together nuclear weaponry. They've already said, we will vaporize, we will take Israel off the map, and yet we are hemming and hawing and hedging and releasing meaningless constraints and meaningless statements that do nothing to stop them. And now we tell Israel, you cannot do anything against them without our consent. I say to Israel, you protect yourself. You're a democratic society. You protect yourself. Do whatever you've got to do. We're living in perilous times. Times where Jesus said, when you see all these things coming to pass, lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Now here's the bottom line for this message and I'll close. We need to forget everything else where Israel is concerned and remember this one thing. God has claimed that land for himself. Read Genesis 12, read it, read the rest of the Bible. He's claimed that land for himself and he's given it to Abraham and his direct descendants, not to Ishmael and the Arab peoples. And I'm not saying that disparagingly of the Arab peoples, but clearly God gave it to Isaac and his descendants, not Ishmael and his descendants. He gave it to Isaac, Jacob, and the Jewish people. No power on earth, not any power is great enough to give even one inch of it to anyone else at any time for any reason without suffering the consequences. When are we going to learn? In the U.S., we now have 12 clear examples that have cost trillions of dollars and thousands of lives. Now, here's the resolution of this church. Turning Point Church is going to begin blessing Israel with prayer and with financial support greater than we ever have. We're going to start somewhere where we can, and we're going to grow from there. Our mission support is going to go to supporting works that are building congregations uh, and winning souls in the land of Israel, the apple of God's eye. We're going to do everything we can to bless them. While the world is turning against them and turning away from them, we're going to turn towards them. 
because we believe the Word of God. And we're going to bless them. So I want you to stand with me today, would you? And what I want to do before we go today is something very meaningful. You know, when Jesus gave the parable, you remember when he said it? Uh, I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was uh, hungry, you didn't feed me. Thirsty, you didn't give me a drink, and so on and so forth. And they said, when, Lord? He said, inasmuch as you did it to the least of one of these, my brethren. For years, I thought he was just talking about the whole world there, all the Gentiles, but he wasn't. That was all about Israel. And so at the end of the parable, he has the sheep on one hand and what he called goats on the other. And you know what I've seen in that parable? The way Jesus knew that the sheep were sheep was how they had treated his people. That's the parable. I was in prison. You visited me. I was hungry. You fed me. When did we do it to you, Lord? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and they received him not. Jesus was olive-skinned. He was a Jew. He was Semitic. He came through Jewish lineage. We have a Jewish Messiah. Isn't it dumb, supremely, to be anti-Semitic? If you're anti-Semitic, dude, you're anti-Jesus. He was one. What are you going to say to him when you get up there? Oh, I've always had a problem with Jews, but I'll change my tune right now. No. So we're going to feed them. We're going to do what we can to bless them. I'd like for us to turn east. Could we do that? We did this in the early service. Say, this is kind of dumb. No, it's not. It says turn towards Jerusalem. We're going to turn towards Jerusalem. We're going to bless it. Father, we thank you for the land of Israel. And Lord, as a church... We're committed to blessing your people, not because they're perfect, not because they do everything right, but because you said they were your people. So, Lord, we bless the land of Israel. Now, would you say with me, church, say, Israel, we bless you. We pray for your peace and that you will come to know Messiah as a nation. May God protect you from your many enemies. In Christ's name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today, can you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Now I'm going to ask quickly our life leaders, if you would come down, life leaders. Tonight is life groups, and we're going to pray over them. We did this in the first service, and uh, we're going to pray over them. Please don't leave yet. 